Would you take your scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 61. We'll be reading the entire psalm, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 61, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through your mouth to your servants who wrote your word. You call us to come before you and pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Father, we need your help in understanding your word. Open our hearts this day and let your Holy Spirit fill us with knowledge about this glorious plan of salvation you have provided through Christ Jesus. We seek this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As Presbyterians, we believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of saints. This means we believe once God begins a good work in your life, he will not stop until it is complete and you're with him in heaven. The perseverance is mainly his, not ours. We do have a work of perseverance also, but only through his grace. This doctrine of perseverance of saints is the foundation for living under vows. We are called to make a commitment, to make a vow to Jesus Christ for his work in our lives. Believing in this doctrine does not mean once someone becomes a Christian, they never sin again. We know all men are sinners and fall short of God's glory. We understand there are no pure hearts. The man who is called of God and looks to Jesus Christ as his only hope of eternal life, will struggle with sin. He will struggle with it as long as he walks this earth. As Presbyterians, we hold grace up as the only tool of salvation. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not your work that saves, but the work of God in your heart. Once you're saved, it's not your effort that bring, that keeps you saved, but the grace of God. Everything man does is undergirded by grace. One of the first, the great dangers with the understanding, and many have fallen into it, is to make all of this so easy, you have no responsibility. This means that those who hold to this era think they kind of just get a free ticket into heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. Grace, when it enters your heart, changes everything. It takes you, a spiritually dead person, 
and it makes you alive. It takes you a sinner and changes you into a saint. It removes the old and replaces it with the new. We learn from the introduction to this psalm, it's written by David. He intended it to, to be played by the stringed instruments. We find David facing hard times as he writes this psalm. He was displaced by his son Absalom. Absalom had run him out of Jerusalem. He fled Jerusalem and had to fight with his own son. He struggled to return to his throne. Well, he won the fight and is overwhelmed by the cost of the return to the throne. Absalom is dead. David is consumed with grief. Some would declare David has fallen from grace and is now being resaved, but that would not be true. Yes, David sinned and God used Absalom to punish him. But all of this was part of God's greater plan to mold David more into his own image. We're always in this life being encouraged to leave our sins and follow Jesus Christ. The new heart has but one purpose, to make you an obedient child of God. After receiving the new heart, you will be placed in one situation after another to test your resolve to be obedient. Will you keep your vows? This psalm shows David going through just such a time. It teaches about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. As David comes out and out the other side of this test, he takes pen in hand and he begins to write this psalm which shows how hard it can be to return from disobedience, but it also shows it is not impossible. As we look at this psalm, we shall first observe the need of divine help. Second, we will hear the vows of commitment. We will study the vows made, the security given, and the promise entered into. Now we begin with the understanding that sin separates you from God. It does not remove from you the grace promised in Jesus Christ, but it does temporarily stop your fellowship with God. The sin we are talking about is the failure to follow through on the vows you made before God. Until this sin is recognized and it's dealt with, God seems to be a long way off. In order to overcome this sense of being lost, the sinner must see himself as the one who has injured the relationship and admit his own fault in this manner of sin. He must recognize any relationship with God is grounded in commitment. It's founded on vows made and kept. David has just been through such a time. He's been run from Jerusalem by his own son. He fought a war with the forces following his son. All during this time of trial, David refused to blame anyone but himself. He would not allow his men to kill one who came out and cursed him. He continues to declare this was his just reward for his sins against God. David was well aware of the truth in this matter. He faced this trial with the understanding his life was in God's hands. And he was willing to accept whatever God sent his way. He turns to God in this psalm 
lays before the heavenly throne a simple request. He calls on God to hear him, help him, and hide him. David calls to God from the midst of his troubles. This is the same type of call that should issue from your lips as you face life's trials, for this call alone can bring help. Verse 1. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. No other help is available than that which comes from the sovereign Lord Almighty. David sinned and repented. Now he calls on God to hear his plea and listen to his voice. David felt the separation sin brings and is tired of trying to deal with everything himself. He is on his knees. He totally surrenders. He doesn't say he needs a little help. David knows he either gets God's help and God does it all or he has no hope. We need to learn from this. Please pay attention to this next point. It can help you recognize problems in your own spiritual life. Those who lean toward legalism feel real good when they have prayed. Why? Because the saying of the prayer is what's most important to them. They're doing something for themselves. While those who lean toward ritualism become satisfied after they have accomplished the result, the required right. Why? Because that holds the most important thing to them. They're doing something. Both legalism and ritualism are gospels of works. The legalist follows the law. The ritualist follows the ceremonies of the law. Then there is the true believer. Those who are true children of God are most concerned, as David was here, with whether God hears their prayers or not. Please tell me, what good is a prayer that's not heard? There will be no answer to an unheard prayer. So David begins by pleading with God to open his ears and hear his prayer. Yes, David is willing to accept whatever answer God gives. He just wants to know God heard and this terrible separation is ended. He's restored to fellowship with God. David calls God to listen. All he asks here is a consideration of the situation. He knows God always answers the sincere prayer coming from a broken heart. When you come to God with a broken heart because of your own failure, he will respond. David has already shown this back in Psalm 51:17 when he said, The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. With broken heart and contrite spirit, David opens this psalm with his call to God to hear. When you call God to hear your prayer, there is always an underlying desire behind that call. David's desire is to receive God's help, to renew his vow. Verse 2a, For the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. David is facing a terrible struggle. He, had, he tried to handle this by himself and failed. He turns to God begging him to hear. He knows it's hopeless unless God intervenes. 
David was banished and made to run and hide. He calls to God asking to be returned to his place before God. He wants an end, an end to this separation and to be restored to his fellowship with God. David understands. His relationship with God is at God's own discretion. He knows it's not up to him whether there is a a relationship with God or not. You don't choose God. God chooses you. Those who are saved are saved by God's grace, not their own works. You call out to God to come into your life. You vow to love him. It's only because of God's grace working in your heart that makes that call possible. God is the initiator of salvation, not man. And the same is true when you have sinned and fallen short in your Christian walk. It is not your effort that restores you to fellowship, but God's grace and mercy. Did we not last week see that repentance is a work of God? Dear ones, it is extremely important that you understand man has no worth before a holy God. David does not come boasting of his place as king. He doesn't come saying, I'm a prophet. He comes in total humility, casting himself before God, asking only, only for grace and mercy. This is the help David seeks, the undeserved help of a loving God. What does this help entail? Verse 2b, let me lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David needs God's help. He sees that help as a place of refuge. He's not seeking deliverance from an enemy. He wants deliverance from his own weakness. How hard is it to turn loose and let God do it for you? There is not a person here this morning that does not believe they can handle things in their own life better than anyone else. We're all guilty of that. Those who are unsaved even think they can do it better than God. When God changes the heart, he also changes the thought process. All of a sudden, you see yourself in the light of a holy God. You clearly see the sin in your heart. You recognize you can't please God. You also begin to see that pleasing God is important. You look around for a way to accomplish this task of pleasing God. When you, what you find is that you can't do it. You just can't. David is here pointing you to one who can do it. He says there is one. There is one who has, has and will allow you to be a part of this with him. You come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock. He, and hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. You're hiding in Jesus Christ. You're turning your life over to Christ. You're saying, I can't do it, Lord. Save me from myself. Save me from my sin. That's the issue that is at hand here. Christ is the one in whom you can take refuge. Once you're hidden in him, there's no one. There's no one nor anything. They can remove you. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of saints. 
David knows this and calls to God to hide him in this eternal rock where he will be safe forever. To be sure he is not misunderstood, David makes a clear expression of the reason why he seeks these things from God. Verse 3, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower for the enemy. David's not concerned that his eternal relationship with God is lost. He makes clear through all of this, through all of these troubles, God has been his refuge. At every turn in David's life, we have seen him do stupid things, fall into sin, forget his vows. Every time we have seen God take him through these terrible ordeals, David has experienced all of this. And each time, each time, David dealt with him, God dealt with David through grace and mercy, through grace and mercy only. Why? Why does God do that? Because of the covenant God made with him. Once you are God's, he will never allow you to be lost from the family. You can sin and rebel and you can wallow around in it for a time, but you will not be lost. David is sure God will hear his cry and listen to his prayer because he always heard and listened when David returned with a broken and contrite heart. Why is David so sure this time? Verse 4, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. The desire of David's heart, as it is with all of God's people, is to hide not, it's not only have this great relationship with God. That's what we all want, isn't it? This wonderful, wonderful relationship with God. But also to always be in a position to feel the warmth of such a relationship. Now, Calvinists don't talk about warmth a lot, but this is a place where it really applies. How do you feel this warmth? You feel it when you're obedient to his word. You feel it when you stand strong in your vows. David has grown in his assurance. Why? Because he took a stand before God and he looks neither to the right nor the left. He stays focused on Jesus Christ. He knows it is God and God alone who can make a difference in his life. He abandoned his own strength and seeks only God's. David is returning to Jerusalem. Absalom's defeated. David comes back to his throne with great joy in his heart. But his joy is not over Absalom's defeat. It is as at God's victory in David's own heart. It's because God reestablished David in the covenant made with him at Samuel's side those many years ago. God covenanted with David to be king of Israel. A covenant is a divine promise. It's a vow. God, from the very beginning, worked with men through covenants. He promised Adam eternal fellowship with him if he would only keep the covenant works. Adam failed. He failed to keep that covenant and he was cast out of the garden. God reestablished that covenant of works under Moses with the nation of Israel through the law, but they also failed to keep it. God knew what the outcome would be 
under the covenant of works. So he made a new covenant with man, a covenant of redemption. He introduced that covenant in Genesis 3.15 when he promised Eve her descendant would destroy the works of Satan. Then he widened that covenant through Abraham and fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. The covenant was made for those who would hear and believe on Jesus Christ as the one sent by the Father. Through Jesus, they would be restored to their place of eternal fellowship with their Creator. As all covenants, this covenant had two sides to it. God would provide eternal life if man would have show faith and believe God's word. The only problem was shown through the covenant works. Man could not keep a divine covenant. It wasn't in him. He couldn't handle it. Therefore, Jesus Christ was sent to do for man what he could never do for himself. Jesus came, and on the behalf of all men who would hear and believe, he lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, and won the resurrection victory. Well, man broke the covenant. Christ paid the price in order to open a reconciliation for men through himself to the Father. The covenant of redemption is therefore fully lived out in the life and death of Jesus Christ. As a believer, you're each called upon to make certain vows before God. Now, understand this. If you're not saved, if you're not believing and trusting in Christ and in Christ alone, then you don't have a part in that covenant. You need to place your hope and trust in Christ and in Christ only. What does that require? It requires that you look into your heart, you recognize that you do not live up to the, the standard that God has laid down in his word for life. And you have to turn from your own selfish and sinful ways and you have to turn to Jesus Christ and you have to ask him into your heart. He has to show you that you need a redeemer and that Jesus Christ is that redeemer. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's a matter of just trusting. Who do you trust in? Do you trust in yourself or do you trust in God? Remember, just because you're not capable does not mean you're not responsible. These vows are an expression of your responsibility. David made vows and he broke them. These vows and his breaking of them are the building blocks upon which he begins to reestablish his new resolve to stand and be faithful. This is the whole point of the psalm. David has come to the point he knows only in the presence of the Lord shall he find happiness and rest. He longs for a place in the Lord's presence. He takes refuge under the wings of a gracious and loving God who will never allow him to be lost. He will never be forsaken. He found in this loving covenant all he ever desired. David calls upon God to hear his vows. Verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. When God works in the hearts of men, he changes them. He makes them alive. Once a man has been made alive, he comes face to face with his responsibility to please God. 
The only thing that can ever please God is obedience. But that's all he asks of you. But please understand, you can't earn from God his pleasure by your obedience. You can't earn from God anything. Obedience is your duty. It's your reasonable service. In other words, it's the baseline. It's what God, what you owe God. It gains you no reward for doing it because it is your inherent duty. So you ask, if I get nothing from it, why do it? Because it is the reason you were created. You were created by God to serve him. In Adam, man lost any reward that could have come from his service before God. God in his grace and mercy was not willing to allow all mankind to be lost. So he instituted the covenant of redemption and is carrying it to completion in Jesus Christ. Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the covenant, including your obedience. Yet the responsibility to be obedient is still with you, before you. Only now, only now you fulfill that duty out of love, not obligation. David says to the Lord in verse 5, For you have heard my vows, O God. He restates his vows before God out of love for God, for what God did for him. God is his help, his hiding place. He knows security is found only in God. His security comes in the peace he receives, standing firm in his vows before God. My friends, as believers, you are each called to make vows before God. These vows are very important because they reflect your heart and your attitude toward Christ. We looked at them this morning. Those are the vows you took in joining the church. We have had members of this church treat those vows they took as though they meant absolutely nothing. Breaks your heart to see that. Even men called to the office of elder have turned their backs on their vows. As Christians, this should never, ever happen. Psalm 15 asks these questions of God. Who may dwell in your house? Who may live with you? It answers with these words. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who he swears to his own hurt and does not change. Did you get that? You take these vows, you take them, and you keep them even if it hurts you. That's how important they are. You want to be secure in your walk with the Lord. They keep, then keep your vows. Keep them very secure. Make sure that you're fulfilling them. Yes, even when it hurts you to do so. God made a covenant with you, and his word stands behind that covenant. He will not allow it to be destroyed by your enemies or by you. The only way God could fulfill his word to you was to come and live the perfect life in your place and die the atoning death, and, and, and he did so. Christ came and did all of that. But he also willingly did it because he made a vow to save those God called to be his. You must take your vows as seriously as David did 
And you must be willing to suffer, if needed, to fulfill those vows. There is no greater sin than to make a vow before God and then to just walk away from it. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 6. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was in the error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the works of your hands? This is where David came in Psalm 61. He made his vows, and now he stands in awe of God. This is where each one of you have to come. You have to make that decision. You must come in the vows you have made, determined to keep them at any personal cost to you, and you must stand in awe of God. David adds in verse 5, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. This is a confirmation. It's a confirmation of what we have already been told. If you make your vows and stand firm in them, nor forsake them, not forsaking them, for anything, even your own hurt, you will be counted with those who are God's children. Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. How can you share in his sufferings? You ever really thought about that? How can you share in God's suffering and the suffering of Christ? By keeping your vows. By keeping your vows no matter what the consequences. Is that not what he did on Calvary's cross? Please understand, keeping vows does not earn salvation. The keeping of your vows is an expression of your salvation. You're vowing to what you say you believe in your heart. That's why this is so important. That's why you need to be very careful before you even take a vow to make sure that's what you really believe. If you want to be a witness of one who saved you, then you need to work very hard at showing him your love. That's what's important, that we show Christ how much we love him. That's what the vow means, is we're vowing to him what we really feel and believe about him. The way you do that is by keeping your word, honoring the vows you have made in his name. What's the security that is promised. Verses 6 and 7. You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. The security David speaks about is the security that comes from being in Jesus Christ. Yes, David is one, in one sense speaks of himself, but there is something greater in his heart. It was through his line. The Messiah would come and fulfill this prophecy. It is Christ who is enthroned forever in God's presence. If you're an heir of God and joint heir with Jesus Christ, your security is found only in Christ and his works. You are protected by the same faithfulness and love that protects him 
and places him at, at the Father's right hand. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He's the eternal one. He becomes your personal joy. He's the one in whom all of your confidence and security must rest. This is the essence of justification by faith alone. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him and his work only. You must look to him. You must trust in him for your eternal security. This is the heart of the gospel. Believing and trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. What do you do upon learning this lesson concerning your Lord? Verse 8. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. <clears throat> Once you see your need of security and see that security offered in Jesus Christ, there remains but one thing to do, and that's to enter into it. As you acknowledge your sin and God's holiness, you have started the process of entering into your salvation. You recognize how far short of God's glory you have fallen and that the only hope left to you is Jesus Christ. Christ lived for you the perfect life you could not live. He died the atoning death required by God for your reconciliation. He won the victory over your dreaded enemy death and he offers it all to you if you will come in faith. David explains, I will sing praise to your name forever. He comes before his God with joy in his heart. He doesn't come to earn but to rejoice. This is not a matter of obligation, but a matter of love. He sees the wonder of God's salvation and the depth of his own sin, and it simply overwhelms his heart. He adds that I may daily Daily perform my vows. David understands the depth of God's love in answering his prayer. He responds to that love with a commitment to carry out the vows he made before God. Nothing short of this type of commitment will show your love for your Savior. Nothing short of this commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior will show forth his place with you. My friends, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You have no power in coming to God. It is the Father who draws you to Jesus Christ and Jesus who brings you to the Father. It's the Holy Spirit who guides and sustains you in both. Your salvation is of grace and your continuation in salvation is by grace. This is the love of God it is imperative that you see and understand this love. We started this sermon talking about the doctrine and perseverance of the saints. This is based on God's love for his people. It is God who perseveres with you to complete this wonderful work of love. He began in your heart at regeneration. This should be the very thing that sparks in you a love for God and causes you to see how much you owe to him. If you have taken vows before God, be they vows of membership in the church, vows as an officer to serve, vows of marriage, vows to secular authorities that make you responsible to another in some legal way, vows to be an honest witness or to uphold the law through a civil office, you must commit yourself, 
Commit yourself to the faithful exercise of those vows. Yes, even if it means your own hurt. David has come a long way in the writing of this song. This was not an easy road to follow. It was a hard return. It required him to stop. It required him to examine his heart. He had to place his own wants and desires behind him and stand before God. He observed all God did for him, and he promised to fulfill his vows and honor God's name by his own conduct. Yes, even if in the end it hurt him. Dear ones, this is commitment. And it can be very hard, but in the end, it will be the only thing for which you will receive a reward. That reward will be Jesus Christ. He will come, and I can assure you, when he comes, he will be with that reward, the reward of himself. We need to believe and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. If you haven't believed in him, then today is a good day to start. For this is the day the Lord has made. So open your heart. Hear his voice. For he's calling to you. Come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this day to renew your vows before you. We've opened our mouths to show you our love through the vows we have made. Please hear our call for help. Give us strength and courage to stand on what we have vowed. You have warned that if we make a vow and then refuse to honor it, it will not go well with us. We will be seen as fools. Our vows are made before no one but you, O Lord. You alone are the sovereign Lord Almighty. And truth in your, is your foundation, and a vow is a promise to you that we will do what is right in our lives. Help us to be witness of your grace by paying our vows. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your hymnals.